Marissa Lee here, and I'm so excited to be sharing today's interview round episode with you. In these episodes, our brilliant lineup of guests will include healthcare practitioners, voice educators, and other professionals who will share their stories, knowledge, and experiences within their specialized fields to empower you to live your best life. Whether you're a member of the voice community or beyond, your voice is your unique gift. It's time now to share your gift with others, develop a positive mindset and become the best and most authentic version of yourself to create greater impact. Ultimately, you can take charge. It's time for you to live your best life. It's time now for A Voice and Beyond. So, without further ado, let's go to today's episode. Recently, I was invited to be a guest on a Facebook Live event with Anne Leatherland, who is a voice educator, business coach, and the founder of Vocal Intuition based in the United Kingdom. During this interview, I was asked to speak about the process of researching and writing my book, Singing Contemporary Commercial Music Styles, a Pedagogical Framework, as well as my own professional CCM journey, which led me to an academic career path. In this episode, I decided to share this interview with Anne as I believe it is time for CCM to be respected and valued equally to classical music and no longer be treated as its poor relation, especially in academia. This interview offers quite a rare insight into my 45 years of industry experience in CCM, how I fell in love with this music as a young child my award-winning career as a pop rock vocalist, my serendipitous transition from a performance career to teaching CCM styles and my shock introduction into higher education as a mature age postgraduate student. It was here that I realized this music I had built a whole career upon was not legitimized from an academic or pedagogical standpoint. This shock revelation inspired my research into CCM singing voice pedagogy, write a book based on the results of that research, and become an advocate for this music. In today's show, I share with you that it is time to not only listen to the needs of our students, but also the demands of music markets, music consumers, and music industry personnel as a voice community. I would love to hear from you if any parts of this interview resonated with you. And a big thanks must go to Anne for having me as a guest and allowing me to speak on this topic. So without further ado, let's go to today's episode. And welcome to Vocal Intuition Live. And I'm absolutely delighted this morning to welcome Dr. Marisa Lee Naismith. I hope I've got your name right there, Marisa. It is Marisa, isn't it? Well, I actually pronounce it Marissa. I, Marissa, yeah, as, okay. Yes, 
And uh, you're very welcome here and welcome to our audience, anyone who's watching as well. If you are joining us this morning, then please do make yourself known in the chat and I'm sure that we can have one or two questions at the end if you have any. If you're watching on the recording, then you can still join in. You can still add your questions and your comments and we'll look at them later on. So uh, I'm delighted that this is working so well because you are, uh, Marissa, in Brisbane, is that right? I'm actually on the Gold Coast. So in the state of... I've got everything wrong this morning. (laughs) Oh, look, you're fired. (laughs) No, um, I'm actually on the Gold Coast. So I'm an hour south of Brisbane and on a beautiful tourist destination. I live in Broad Beach, which is just stunning. I have views of the Pacific Ocean from every room in my apartment. It is just the most beautiful place to live in. We have tropical weather, which is not so good at the moment because we're getting a lot of rain because there is a weather, in what do you call it, La Nina or I think that's what they call it. Yes. Anyway, we're having a weather episode here in Australia. We're having a lot of wet weather. And we haven't been spared here in our beautiful part of the world. Oh, oh it makes me feel slightly better about being here in cold, rainy England then. So. Oh, yeah, anything's, no, 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 anything's better than that. <laughs> so this morning we're going to be talking about CCM singing or yes. contemporary commercial music is what CCM mm-hmm. means. And we'll say more about that as we go. And Marisa has been doing a lot of research in this area. But um, let's have a think to start with. Could you tell us a bit about yourself, Marisa, and um, how you came to be doing what you're doing? Well, if you want the long story, it actually started probably when I was about five years old. (laughs) But And I will keep it brief. But I just fell in love with this music. My brother belonged to a record club. And every month we would receive a new record wasn't a cd wasn't a cassette tape it was a record and I would lock myself in the living room put the new record on the record player and it was always a pop or rock tune and was the Beatles the Who the Kinks so many of those old classic rock artists and I would sing to that music at the top of my lungs And I just loved how that music made me feel. And it still does. My husband and I listen to that music every Friday night with the wine and some cheese and crackers. And I still get up and I still sing at the top of my lungs. I still dance around the living room. He loves it. It keeps him amused. But I just fell in love with this music. And I just grew up singing this music. I was just drawn to it. There was something about it, something that it made me feel. It was, I think, because I was silenced as a child. I grew up in a post-war migrant family. My parents were Mm -hmm. Italian. Children were seen and not heard. So as part of that culture, that was the way it was. It was a very strict upbringing. And I feel that music liberated me and it gave me a voice and I was able to be loud. (laughs) essentially. And I was, I belted everything. (laughs) And then when I turned 15, I actually got a job in a band. There was Mm -hmm. a band in the same suburb that was auditioning for a singer. And I asked my mum if I could go to the audition. And she said, what are you going to do? Seriously, you're a kid. 
as though they're going to take you. And what did they do? They took me. So I found myself then making money from this music. I couldn't believe it. And I became what I call the original Hannah Montana. So I was (laughs) going to school during the day and I was going to a Catholic school with the nuns. And because it was once again, a strict school, there was so many boundaries at this school. I thought the nuns would get angry if they found out that I was working nights as a singer. So I kept that part of my life really quiet. So during the day, I'd be in a school uniform, nighttime, I'd be in sequins. So it was quite a contradiction. Then in I moved to the Gold Coast from Melbourne. All of this took place in Melbourne. I moved to the Gold Coast. I had a very successful career here and I was working in bands. I was working in piano bars. I was working at big corporate events, big things like the Miss Australia Quest, things that were being televised. I was actually on a lot of local TV. I was on radio. I was singing on some of the jingles. I was doing quite, I was doing very, very well, in fact. And based on my performance career, I was then asked to become a singing teacher at a local stage and television school. And I said no, because I had no formal training and I didn't Mm. know what to do. But they kept annoying me and they kept saying, but you can sing. You're an amazing singer. Surely you can teach others to make those sounds. And they kept annoying me and annoying me. And eventually I just said, Oh, for God's sakes, yes. Okay, (laughs) I'll do this. I'll do it. And I just wrote my own little program out. A lot of that was based on what worked for me. I didn't harm anybody and students started to do well. And then I started to balance the performing life with the teaching studio life that I was having And eventually Mm -hmm. I got to a point where, and that was 20 years later, so I started teaching in 1988. And in 2008, I thought, wow, I now have a school of my own. I had 300 students. I had 12 teachers working for me. It was a big business. Wow. And I thought, well, you know, it's time I learn a little bit more about what I'm doing. I owe it to my students. I can't keep taking people's money and not really know what's going on with the voice. And by that time, I had given up performing maybe a year or two prior. So it was becoming the biggest income generator for me. And yeah, I just got to that crossroads and I thought, Mm -hmm. no, I, I really want to learn more. And that's when I went into academia and I... Entered academia as a postgraduate student. They took me based on my performance experience as well as my teaching experience. Yes. So I had no undergraduate training, but the experience that I presented myself to the university with was enough for them to say, you know what, this is the type of student that we want in our program. Mm. You must have had an intuitive grasp of what to do, Mm. I think. And also, um, sorry to interrupt you, but I wanted you, um, if you could tell us a bit about the challenge of that, because there was very much a feeling at the time, wasn't there, that classical singing was the thing and that that was the way you you did. So how did you deal with that and how did you find that? Well, I didn't know classical singing was a thing. 
It was the opposite for me. I had not ever entered that world until I went into academia. I didn't know any classical singers. All the music that I listened to was all CCM, as we call it now. It was pop and rock and whatever it was, soul, funk, reggae, whatever you want to call it. I didn't even know there was a banner that this music came under a banner. My whole world was completely segregated from that classical world and that, that academic world. So I was having a great time doing what I was doing and I wasn't in my head about it mm. either. I thought this was totally legitimate. I'd had a very legitimate career. Mm. I, for a time I was a single mum and I paid off my home. I was able to put my daughter through private school education. I was earning a fortune from this career. So it was a very legitimate way of making money. And it wasn't until I went into academia that I got the shock of my life. Mm. I went into a conservatorium. Yes. And most of the cohort were classical singers. Mm. And I was really frowned upon. I was made to feel like an imposter. I didn't look like them because... I was wearing very short skirts. I was wearing plunging necklines. I had wild hair. So I didn't look like the typical academic. And I belted. I was making sounds that were so different to everybody else. They couldn't cope. You know, it was like, who is this woman? What is she doing here? You shook things up. (laughs) I did shake things up. So the students not only The teacher, who was a classical teacher, and every time she modelled CCM, every hair on the back of my neck stood up because I thought, oh, my God, that is not what we sound like. And, love, you wouldn't get paid a cent for that sound in my world. But the students were also ridiculing me. And there was a definite high art, low art mentality, and Mm. I was the lowest of the lows in their world. Mm. And at the end of that year, so I did a postgraduate certificate, I wanted Mm. to return and do a postgraduate diploma and then go on to a master's. And I was told no because I didn't have an undergrad, but I think there was a little bit more to it. But then I ended up getting an academic award. I got the highest mark in the cohort. I worked my absolute butt off to prove myself. So they had to let me back in. Fantastic. And yes, and there was not a book in the library about CCM. There was the only person who was an advocate for me was Dr. Irene Bartlett, who you've met. I've and met Irene, she, yeah. Yes, she was my mentor, she was my advocate. And it's because of Irene, I'm where I'm at now. I ended up doing my master's. And the last day, walking up the stairs at the conservatorium, last day of lectures, I was walking up those stairs and I thought, I'm not done yet. Mm. But I thought, well, there's nothing more for me to do. I can't go on. I'm completing a master's. I'm going to pass this. This is the end of the road for me, but I don't feel that I'm ready to leave here. I just Mm. loved the institution. I ended up loving the place. By the end, I just loved the whole vibe of people creating music, all the different sounds walking down the hallway. You'd have a trumpet, you'd have a pianist, a a rock guitarist, and 
all these amazing sounds and even the smell of the conservatorium. I just grew to love the place. And the last day of lectures, it was with Irene and we had to do a book review. And I reviewed Elizabeth Blade Zeller, as she was known then, A Spectrum of Voices. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you're familiar with the book, but in that book, she interviews a whole lot of very high profile pedagogues of the time, all classical. Yes. And I gave a review on that book. Now, that book there was the book that I was always drawn to in the library. And in fact, I kept taking that book out all the time over the years that I was there. So no one else ever got a hold of that. But I just loved the way it was written. I loved the fact that I felt that I was in the studio with all these remarkable teachers. I felt that I got to know these teachers. I loved how it was written. And so I was telling Irene and the cohort about this book. And then at the end, I said, my only negative is why is there not a book like this for CCM singers? Absolutely. I mean, there is and where there was and is very little. Of course, we're going to be talking about your book in a few minutes. But yes. So, well, uh, was it this that prompted you to research? What were, you know, what were the questions? What inspired you? Okay. Okay. So, Irene, just so just getting back to the story, Irene then said to me, Well, Marissa, you need to write the book. This was 2015. You need to write, or maybe 14, you need to write the book. If anyone can write the book, you can. Come back next year, Mm -hmm. do your PhD and write the book. And I just went, okay. (laughs) And I did. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and that's what I did. And it was a tough road because I didn't have an undergrad. I'd never done research. So there was a lot of obstacles for me. And Essentially, I did the PhD and the research to write the book. I Mm. actually didn't really care about the PhD itself. It was the book that I cared more about. But having said that, a lot of people do PhDs because they think they'll get a job promotion or whatever it is. And in those times when that research gets tough, it can be really hard. But for me, I would always ask myself, now, why am I doing this? I'm doing it to write a book that is really needed in our field. There Mm. is nothing in the library at present on CCM. This is an industry that I've made a lot of money in. There are a lot of teachers out there who are struggling, who want Mm. to learn more. And if they want to learn more, they have nothing. It was like, in one sense, it was a giving back for me in honour of that industry. It was also helping others. It was also legitimising CCM from a pedagogical standpoint because at that point of time, as much as, and we've got to thank Jeannie Levetri for the work she's done in our field, mm-hmm. and she introduced the term CCM in order to legitimise us so we had a name because up until then we were just other we were just other or non-classical as if everything else didn't matter Mm -hmm. yes exactly which was really when you think about that term other or non it was saying what the music wasn't and it was Mm -hmm. really highlighting the fact 
that we were caught up in this Eurocentric teaching model. Yes. And so she was trying to help us move ahead, but we still didn't have that legitimization from a pedagogical standpoint in higher education. If anyone wanted to learn CCM, they had to go and either learn a methodology or some Mm. sort of go and learn it privately at a local Mm. studio somewhere. There was really nothing. So that was my driver, was, was basically those reasons. And so I wanted to come up with some sort of framework. The burning questions, as you just asked me, was, okay, so what are other people teaching? I know what I'm teaching and it's worked and I've had students performing all around the world, but I'm just a teacher and I'm a no, like a nobody teacher. I'd never been in an academic setting before. What are other people doing? So I started to search people who were prominent in the field of CCM. Mm-hmm. So first up, obviously, Jeannie, and then I found people like Gillianne. I found Kim Chandler. Here in Australia, mm-hmm. there was Diane Hughes. In the US, there was Anne Peckham, who's just released another book. from. She's from Berkeley College, Wendy Bourne. So I started to find these particular people to see what they were doing. And was it possible by asking them all the right kinds of questions about their approaches and their beliefs that possibly we could come up with some sort of framework? Mm. And it didn't have to be set in stone. It was never this is the be-all and the end-all. It was more about let's give our teaching community a starting point where then Mm. other people can go and do further research, where this framework, it ended up being a framework, not a model, and because to me a model is fixed, whereas a framework is a structure where you can keep adding to a structure or you can remove pieces of a structure, whereas a model yeah. is what it is. I so love that because me, it means that you can be flexible. I mean, everything is different. Every teacher is different. Exactly. But a framework with exactly. flexibility will give you that, and I, I particularly love that part in the book. Yes, um, Yes. And the different yes. aspects that you decided to talk about. Yes. With, with yes. your different pedagogues. Yeah. So I just wanted to find out what are other teachers doing? Is it possible mm. then to come up with a framework that's a starting point for our singing voice community that it can be adapted, it could be communally added to, it can be debated, it can be whatever you want it to be. And mm. so that was that was why. I did the research and yeah. to become an advocate. The, the PhD gives me some sort of cred, I suppose, mm. and writing the book has given me credibility, but I've now really become an advocate for this music and I feel that I'm in a place of privilege because I'm teaching within an organisation where the program that I'm working in, I'm working with popular music students. They're all singer-songwriters. They're all writing either pop, rock, R&B, soul, funk, metal, across the, the broad styles that fall under that umbrella term. And I'm not going to lose my job for speaking up. In fact, my no. boss tells me, Marissa, do it. You're the one that has to do this. And Jeannie has told me the same thing 
you're in that position where you can and I will and I will continue to speak up and I will continue to make recommendations and I'm not scared to. I've had a lived experience and I think I've proven myself as, as a performer, as an artist, as an author, as now a teacher working within academia. So I'm here to now speak up and, and be the voice mm. as much as I can be for the field mm. and and to maybe speak up for others who feel that they can't for fear of losing their jobs. Absolutely. Absolutely, because you represent a whole body of work, which up until now has been in a way overlooked. And yes, one of the most surprising things, I, I couldn't believe it when I read it, was uh, that you mentioned in your book that of all the music listened to, classical yes. vocal music is about 1%. 1%. It is 1%. And it is. This represents yes. all the rest and uh, that people well, are interested in listening to and singing. Mm-hmm. Well, strangely enough, it's really, it's so messed up. The whole demand versus supply for this music and, and the training of these styles is so messed up because mm. CCM styles represent 99% of total music consumption globally. Yes. And this has been the status quo now for many years. I started researching this in 2015 the only change has been that rock music represented the most highly consumed under that 99%, but it's now funk and R&B, I think, is now the top. So rock is now second place. That's the only change. Amazing. And then in terms of supply for teaching these styles in higher education in the U.S., out mm-hmm. of 75 institutions that have vo- vocal pedagogy programs, only three offer CCM and only one, specifically CCM, is a standalone and that's Shenandoah. One of the other mm-hmm. ones has music, theatre, CCM and classical and the other one's classical and CCM. So the only one that has it as a standalone program at present is Shenandoah. And Good on them because they're flying the flag and I see Mm. through what Matt Edwards is posting that they're making changes to their program. They're updating their program all the time to be more inclusive. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because there was a time when I suppose vocal pedagogy programs weren't there, were they? So they've gradually filtered into the mainstream in the conservatoires and universities and now here we have the CCM you know, following up in the, in the rear guard. Yes, and, exactly. Um, you know, this is the book, by the way, everybody. I'm yes. just going to show you the book. I have, I have a copy We have one each. <laughs> and a pedagogical framework. Go and get mm-hmm. it. It's absolutely wonderful. I haven't read it all yet, Thank but you. I've really enjoyed dipping in. And um, I love the way, Mar- uh, Marissa, that you put CCM music in context historical context and also pedagogical context and in terms of how things have developed over the years. And then also because of all your experience, you've put it in the context of the music industry. And I think that's absolutely vital that people understand that. And for me, I teach a lot of musical theatre singers is realising that, you know, musical theatre, you mentioned this, has also 
developed over the years. It was always aligned with the popular okay. styles of the day. So it's it's essentially aligned with CCM now. It's not aligned with those classical styles so yes. as it yes. was back and in the 40s and 50s and 60s. So. Mm-hmm. And I think now really musical theatre should have its own pedagogy. It's its own unique art form. Yes. It's not commercial by popular music standards, nor is it aesthetically commercial. People can hear a difference. The average person can hear a difference in the sounds. It should be respected and validated as its own art form. It very much is. It should have its own pedagogy now. I I agree. I agree. And, and of course, Dr Gillian Case, who's my wonderful colleague when I work with... And my friends. And, and your my friend colleague too. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, And Jeremy Fisher have been working for this um, for years, haven't they, to actually put yes. this on the map. Yes, and, absolutely. And to have this and approach uh, within musical theatre, there has to be, it's text-driven, but there has to be authenticity, which is something absolutely. that you talk about a lot, actually, in terms of authenticity of style. And uh, oh, again, yes. that's a, Another part of the book that I've really enjoyed so far. <laughs> yes, because so, uh, I break down the styles and what makes them authentic in their own way. But I have to tell you, that is one of my bugbears as someone who has been a part of the industry to hear mm-hmm. the music being performed inauthentically. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. I have to tell you this quickly. When I was in Vienna, there was only myself and Trenise Robinson-Martin, really, who were presenting on CCM. She was talking about soul music and I was just advocating for CCM and making recommendations for our industry. And bless, there was a teacher there. She was an American teacher who was very proudly, she got up and she played some samples of her students singing CCM styles. And I thought to myself, love if that's ccm i will run around vienna naked you know it was yeah. there was so much vibrato there was mm-hmm. so much legato it was not ccm but you know good on her for having a go and i look i truly believe people are doing their best out there we can't knock teachers no they're they're doing their best to break this feeling but I mean and and I ought to underline that you're by no means um doing down classical singing it's a very wonderful and important part repertoire but it's putting it in context yes I have total respect for all my classical colleagues and I do have some wonderful classical colleagues who I love and adore who are doing a great job, and I'm in awe of their singing. But all I'm saying is it is time that we can stand side by side and we can stand proud as the CCM industry alongside Mm. those people. We don't want to be lesser. I think we've earned our stripes. Look at, as you said, those music consumption figures, 99%. That's what audiences want to hear. And, and, you know, when it comes to this high art, low art mentality in higher education institutions, all they're doing, I'm sorry to say this, is thieving because these Mm. poor students who are paying all this money for an education 
a lot of them are not going to have jobs. Yes. Where are they going to work? I'm, you know, just saying, and I'm, and, and <laughs> if someone can answer me that, I will, I will eat my words or as Homer Simpson will say, or was it Bart Simpson, eat my shorts. I think it's Bart, yeah. <laughs> okay, Bart. Okay, I will eat my shorts, but that they're just my feelings. And we Absolutely. have to be respectful of what music what? markets are demanding. Listen to the voices of the students. What are the students wanting? What are music markets wanting? What are music companies wanting? What does the population want? Yeah, and you have a very real insight into that. You have a real insight into that, and you've mm. fa- both from your experience and your mm-hmm. research, which is um, yes. summarised in the book. Yes. Yes. And yes. then you, you have found patterns in what your different um, pedagogues have said, haven't you? And drawn these yes. together to make this framework mm-hmm. for um, a special CCM pedagogy, which I think is absolutely yes. fantastic. Now, something else yes. that struck me was there's a diagram mm-hmm. somewhere with all the different styles and genres that fall under CCM, oh, yes. and there are hundreds yes. of them. Can you foresee mm-hmm. in the future, you know, like like you said, a musical theatre should have its own pedagogy. Can you see other elements of CCM sort of breaking away and having their own pedagogy? I think the next step to legitimising this music is to do away with the CCM term. Mm. The reason we had the term was because we didn't want to be called other. That was in 2000. And music markets have certainly grown since then. And it's an industry that's dynamic. It's frantically evolving. And it's okay to call the music popular music. It's okay to call it rock music. We don't have to have an umbrella term anymore. I think, you know, I read somewhere that CCM, excuse me for swearing, was the bastard love child of classical music. We're not that anymore. I think, as I said, you know, look at the stats. I think the next step is, and this is the thing that I will be advocating for, and it's part of my journey and part of where I'm going to start waving some flags, is it's okay to call the music popular music or, or contemporary music or commercial music. It's okay. We don't have to abide by a term that no one else knows other than people who are in the singing voice field in academia. I asked my <laughs> students, have you ever heard the term CCM? No. Mm. I've asked people in the industry, music producers, do you know what CCM is? No. So why I we don't we don't need that term. No. I think it's like it's now time to rip off the band-aid and and take that next step. Yeah. And, and say there are all the these music. different forms. Yeah. They're, and they're all valid. And they're yes. all ways of expression. And and expression yes. is the important thing. And mm-hmm. we have a lovely comment here from Keris who's just chipped in. And she's saying it's so interesting. Thank you, Anne and Marissa. Wouldn't it be amazing if conservatoires or pedagogical training could start from the place of informed knowledge on all genre and styles of singing equally and then with the option to pursue your chosen field? Well, okay, I think I'm getting the gist of the question. And good singing is good singing. 
irrespective of style. We all need a technical background. You know, we need to have some technique to underpin what we do. Definitely, we all need to organize our bodies correctly. We all need to have efficient breath. We all need to get that vocal fold closure happening the way that it's meant to. Yes. And we all need to then have resonance based on the styles that we want to sing. Yes. So, yes, we do need to set up that instrument, but how we set it up is different. It doesn't mean that we don't set it up. We all start from a place of knowledge. Yes, but it comes a point where you do have to specialize. I had classical training last year, and I can tell you, and it was the first time ever, and I did it as part of someone's research for their PhD. I was a participant as someone who had a long-standing CCM career, having classical lessons and seeing what the results would be, what it would prove. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, it was so different. It was so different. Yeah. I mean, did you you feel off balance with it? Like, I'm very often, I'm meeting people from the other standpoint, going from classical into musical theatre or into other forms mm -hmm. of CCM. Yes. Did it make you feel unnerved in any way to suddenly be in this position? No, no, because I'm very open and curious. I yeah. I have yeah. I went into it with an open heart and I was quietly excited to explore what thing. my voice could do. Mm-hmm. And so I went in and I was just open. But it was so weird for me to stand still. I don't even stand still when I teach. When my students sing, I move. I, I can't. When I hear music, I want to move. My body moves. I had to stand still. And then the amount of air intake, I was hyperventilating. Yeah, it's so different. That, that management of the air is so, so different. different. So much like larger volumes of air. Having to learn a language, like singing a language. Well, fortunate for me, they they chose an Italian song, and I could I'm, I speak Italian, so that was a no brainer for me. I, I was just fortunate, but those other poor people that had to learn the same song who were Australian and only spoke English, <laughs> I would yeah, have lost some doing to start with. Yeah, yeah, but that legato line, the vibrato, Absolutely. the lowered larynx, it, you know, yeah. spending. 45 minutes of an hour's lesson, getting that larynx in that lower setting. Yes. And a different resonance shape altogether as well. Completely different. And because of what's going on here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Whereas we don't need to warm up that long in a CCM lesson because we're already in that setting that we need to be in for those sounds. You're already in that mode. And I don't know if you agree with me. We're already in that mode. Sorry, overlap there. I don't know if you'll agree with me, but one thing that will definitely derail a CCM song is if you go at it with classical breath, because you're sending out this continuous stream of air and trying to keep the pressures the same, and it just doesn't work, does yeah. it? It feels completely overloaded. Yeah. yeah. I find a, I was working with a classical singer and watch, and it was so weird. She She was doing so many glottal attacks like there was a lot of glottal it wasn't like a glottal stroke as an onset it was in it like a lot of uh, Mm -hmm. sounds Mm -hmm. it it was the weirdest thing 
but also too trying to get her to sustain her speech quality sound or M1 or chest voice, whatever you, mm-hmm. whatever your listeners call it. It's I'm not a terminology snob. No, so, as long as we all know what we're talking about, that's all that exactly. matters. I speak whatever I language. Call it Fred. <laughs> I don't care as long as we know what it is. <laughs> yes, yes. And I speak in whatever language people want to speak in. And yes, so trying to keep her in that speech quality. So I was getting her to read out the words as a monologue, just read it out as a monologue. Mm. Then I had her holding the vowels Mm. just within her speaking range, holding the vowels and then starting to move it slightly towards the pitch zones of the songs. And then as soon as I, and she'd be fine, and as soon as I pressed play and she was still in the same key, oh, my gosh. It's difficult because that sort of. The, mu- the speaking centre and the musical centre of the brain are in different places, aren't they? And it's making that mm. link between the Absolutely. two. So the, the habitual thing kicks in and it can be very mm. difficult to override that. But I think that's yes. a great way forward is to get people speaking and speaking, uh, intoning around the pitch and then sustaining mm-hmm. and going in. And then yeah. I, mean, I did a bit of research on what happens between vowels and consonants in terms of classical singers, and it was actually uh, musical theatre singers, and they were all undergraduates. And there is a very real difference in the way that they treat those. And I mean, that was musical theatre, but there will be a difference again in the different elements of CCM, in the different genre and the different styles. And that's vital too, as well as all the other things, I think. Mm. It's really interesting in the programme that I I work in, in the popular music programme, the, the hardest students that I have to absolutely take away all their toys are the ones who have had a strong musical theatre background. <laughs> yeah. Because it's they've like, had to try and do bits of everything. They've had to adjust to lots of different styles within the musical yeah. theatre canon. So the result know, is it's so never completely formal. authentic in style, is it? But it's No, <laughs> it's, it's not. But it's not authentic to them either. It's almost like they're wanting me to direct them. It's it's over-articulated. It's over-dramatised. It's not conversational enough. It's too much vibrato, way too much twang in a lot of cases. <laughs> so I have to strip those poor singers back to nothing and it's all, and sometimes it takes Yeah, when they're coming into yeah. Because the text yeah. is such sort a of driving force in musical theatre, of course, the over-articulation yes. is all part of it. And the intensity yes. and the length of those consonants as opposed to the vowels. And then, of course, you come to um, other areas like rock, like funk, like jazz, and you have to do completely other. And that's difficult for them to yes. let go because it's been trained into them. Just like classical mm. singers have the legato line trained into them and, that, and the balance yes. again. So it's, it's yes. so interesting and, the, and there's so much further to go, isn't there? Um, there with, with absolutely all of this. is. It, yes, and that's why my framework is a framework because we will need to, as that umbrella of music styles continues to evolve, goodness knows what needs to happen to that framework in, in the years to come. Even when we went into an online teaching context, 
in my own studio, I added students' learning preferences, another linkage when it came to the individual student because Mm. I found by understanding the student's learning preference also helped me and it guided my teaching choices and approaches when dealing with the student in that context. Mm. Fantastic. I'm going to have to wind up, which is a shame because I really enjoyed this. Um, But I want to just um, let you know, uh, this is Keris again. She's saying she's so struck by the awareness um, and and crafting of vocal function of CCM singers and teachers. Um, And that classical training has historically been a bit blind almost mysterious and um she's thanking us and saying people like yourselves advocating for this awareness is so important so that's a a really nice thought isn't it to end up on i'm I'm sure we'll have more comments as time goes on and i'm going to give the book another plug because it really is super so here it is again and if you haven't got it people if you're interested in teaching ccm styles go out and get it now absolutely the thing to have or if you yes. sing CCM even and you'd like to know more about the styles and um, how to approach them. And uh, I'm ho- I hope we can maybe talk again, Marissa, because it's been I absolutely fascinating. I know, and, it's so uh, lovely to catch up with you. I haven't seen you since 2015 and that was in Florence. It was Florence, yes, it was. Mm-hmm. And it I'm, was. I'm hoping to manage PVOC again at some point. Um, I have to be yes. of an up and down time in between, but it, everything's fine now, so... Hoping yes. to uh, to meet you again in person, but this has been absolutely That'd lovely. Be lovely. Yes, and if I can add too that my podcast, if people do want to learn more, I do often talk about CCM in my podcast episodes. Of course, a Voice and Beyond. It is a weekly podcast that you can access on all the usual podcast platforms. So yeah, a Voice and Beyond. <laughs> Of course, I, I forgot to tell you that. Me because I've called this CCM and beyond. So Mar- Marissa's podcast is A Voice and Beyond. Don't forget to have a listen to that. It's absolutely super. And, thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Marissa Lee Naismith. And I hope thank we'll speak you. again soon and have a wonderful Look forward rest of to it. Thank you Bye so much. Now. Likewise. Take care, everybody. Okay. Bye. Bye. you so much for listening to this episode of a voice and beyond i hope you enjoyed it as now is an important time for you to invest in your own self-care personal growth and education use every day as an opportunity to learn and to grow so you can show up feeling empowered and ready to live your best life if you know someone who will also be inspired by this episode please be sure to copy and paste the link and share it with them. Or share it on social media and use the hashtag A Voice and Beyond. I promise you, I am committed to bringing you more inspiration and conversations just like this one every week. And if you would like to help me, please rate and review this podcast and cheer me on by clicking the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts right now. I would also love to know what it is that you most enjoyed about this episode and what was your biggest takeaway. Please take care and I look forward to your company next time on the next episode of A Voice and Beyond.